Andrei Bogoslavsky sitting in the shed in the backyard, New York City. 9 o'clock p.m. Wednesday, December. And this episode will be about my high school experience as an artist in my high school. So, as I mentioned before, I got into culinary high school because my parents forced me to. They wanted me to have practical profession. They didn't want me to go to so-called uh, plastic visual arts high school. So, I got into culinary high school with no exams because I was a gold medalist at International Olympics of Linguistics, 1981, in Moscow, because Poland asked me to represent Poland in these Olympics. And because I'm Russian, of course, I won. I got a gold medal. Oh, my God. The whole Greek people delegation, 12 girls, beautiful girls, have fallen in love in one, didn't speak a word in, Eng in Russian. Their, their teacher, their, their, uh, their uh, protege, uh, not protege, their, their teacher spoke Russian. Mongolian delegation, there were 46 countries. Yeah, there were 10 African countries. There was an American guy wearing a cowboy hat, think from Texas, who didn't speak a word in Russian. Japanese guy didn't speak a word in Russian. Germans spoke some Russian. Mongolians spoke perfect Russian. So I got a gold medal. I came back and I got, got into a, uh, the culinary high school. I didn't want to be there. But on the first few days, I realized I'm the only one boy among 28 girls. And the, the, the whole school is mostly girls, like 99% girls going wild there. Girls were fighting who is sitting with me at one table because tables were in this long rows, but divided into two, seat, two sitters. And I was uh, sitting mostly with this one chick. I never dated any girl from my class or from my high school, actually. Never, never. They were always speaking on me. They were all, you know, teenage girls are so hormonal. They're fighting over nothing. <clears throat> because half of the girls were from small villages. They were really from difficult peasant families. Some of them didn't have electricity where they come from. And half of the girls were from this big city. And they had nice clothes. Some parents were very wealthy and providing for their girls, their daughters. One of them is actually now in the United States. And... Uh, and uh, soon after, the, the principal of high school asked me to stop by the office, so I did. Here I am, 14-year-old, sitting in his chair. So he's having a conversation with me, and he's congratulating me, and he's so grateful that I'm his student. You know, the school never had an Olympic gold medalist in linguistics. It's a culinary high school, about 2,000 students, you know, big, big, big building. Building was built in 1930s by Germans because it's East Prussia. And it was a military building. It was barracks for officers, Nazi officers in 1930s. So, so uh, he says, and I say, I, I, I really don't care about linguistics. It was sort of accident that I ended up representing Poland. And but he asked me to still continue every year to compete in this Polish national um, competitions with linguistics with Russian language and represent this high school. I said, fine, I will. And then I said, you know, I paint paintings. I paint paintings and I and I found this place uh, to go like a government studio. The, the 
community center with beautiful studio. And he asked me if I need any help financially. <laughs> so I say, yeah, sure. Any money would help. At the time I was living, uh, they let me uh, stay. Uh, it was 50 miles away from my mother's hometown uh, in, a, in a dorm. And the dorm was for mixed kids, boys from electronic high schools, electric high, mechanical high schools. So uh, everybody was poor. You know, everybody's parents were average people. You know, uh, salaries of a doctor actually was the same as a taxi driver. The doctor in Poland at the time, 19, beginning of 80s, didn't make any serious money. It was beginning of entrepreneurship in Poland. The democracy sort of loosened up and let people have, uh, uh, you know, 100 pigs and sell the swine, sell the pork in, in the market and make some money. Okay, so so there were entrepreneurs and there were beginning of wealthy people and and the class uh, the class uh, selection, but not so much, not so much. There, there were nobody buying paintings. Let me tell you something. Nobody could afford any artwork. So there was no art market, no art galleries. There's no such a thing as a selling painting. So the the he granted me the principal. Um, so much money, like like half of the uh, high school teacher's salary. So every month I went to the bookkeeper's office and they gave me cash. You know, I signed for it and I bought paints with it. And in exchange, he asked me if I want to hang my paintings. So I hang my paintings. Many of them were not even dry. I used to paint oils uh, for most of my life until I came to New York in 1988. And uh, I hang uh, paintings on the hallways. And in the library, we had a library, I put a guest book. So this, this guest book where people can sign in because many paintings were hanging also at the library on canvas, you know, oils on canvas. And, uh, in the, and people, kids, girls, were signing into my guest book. And guess what? I have this guest book with me in New York 40 years later. And it, when I read it now, even then, back then, I was 14 years old. I'll never forget people, girls were signing in. You have no talent. You should see how my uncle paints. You better drop dead. Don't waste any paint. <laughs> this is how people were signing into my guest book. Not like saying, oh, what a beautiful painting. No, no. People were signing all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> if I open and start reading it now, you know, it cracks me up. And I was 14-year-old and I took a hit, you know. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, I'm hanging paintings. I'm getting money from high school to buy paints. I'm, and they don't sign their names. They don't say who, who wrote this message. So I have this guest book <laughs> after 40 years. And it's a good practice when you have a show as an artist anywhere in your friend's office. <coughs> let's say your mother has a friend or you have an uncle who has a law firm. They have a waiting room or part of somebody in your family is a dentist. And you just say, you know, you paint flowers, dogs and cats. And can I hang a few paintings? For instance, I had a doctor in New York in um, Mr. Sunfield, who was a primary physician. And when I met him, I said, I'm an artist. And I met him in 99, 97, 97 after I sold fashion books. And he says, really, I love art. Do you want to hang your paintings in my waiting room? Sure. And I hang paintings in his waiting room. And after, for free, he didn't pay me anything. Uh, insurance paid for my visits, right? So 
after a couple years, I remembered that I left all these paintings in his waiting room. So I called him and he says, you know what? I took some of them to my beach house, so I'm just going to pay you for those six or seven paintings and forget about it. You don't, don't take them back. And by the way, let me stop by your barge studio and I'll pick some, some others some fresh paintings because everybody, everybody loves. He had a lot of Jewish Orthodox uh, Hasidic uh, customers, not customers, patients, right? And I can't believe Hasidic people love my art. Well, it doesn't matter. Maybe he loved my art. Very intelligent man. He practiced till his 70s. Very smart man. Cardiologist, but also primary physician. So back to high school. In high school, <laughs> the government, the actual Polish Socialist Communist Bolshevik government had 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 money to pay for three weeks, sometimes twice per summer. So my vacations between first year of high school and second year of high school, we culinary kids were obliged to work in some resort for three weeks. You know, I was peeling potatoes somewhere and the girls were waitressing and they were, they were like a government resort for cold miners on the shores of Baltic Sea. And it was fun, okay? It was, you know, uh, it, you know I lived in a room with sharing with superintendent uh, of this resort. But then there were also these plein airs, they were called. So the studio, the art studio at the community center, the director was organizing those plein airs and he would get together 20 unprofessional artists like me, but some were older. Some were people who were painting for 20, 30 years, very realistic ducks or flowers or whatever they were painting. And then he would mix it up with 10 students or 5 or 10 or 20 students from different academies of visual arts who have, you know, experience, professional experience and who will graduate Academy of Visual Arts. And in Poland, it's quite a status. You know, when you graduate Academy of Visual Arts in Warsaw, for instance, is a very prestigious institution. And when you graduate that, you come back to your small town, you are somebody. You walk into mayor's office and mayor is kissing your hands and asking you if you need a studio, do you have money to buy one, can we restore some ancient building, that's what I did, that's what happened to me actually, everything I should say what happened to me, because I didn't make many choices, it sort of came to me, all kinds of good stuff comes to me in life, and I choose to go for it, take advantage of that, or not to take advantage of that, you understand, so I create my own karma, and this is what I keep telling anybody who I meet in my life, you create your own karma. What is the purpose of your actions? How do you feel about this world? Do you love this world? Do you feel you are really solidly rocked on, on this planet? Do you feel, feel as a part of life? If yes, if, if this is what it is, then your thoughts will be very positive. And with positive thoughts, you will have this positive attitude. You step out of your house and you see there is trash blown by the wind and you pick up this trash because this is the neighborhood you live and you don't want trash to be blown away yes some other stupid people threw this trash on the sidewalk i live in new york you know 30 years now 
and I pick up the trash. It's not my trash, but I pick it up because this is my block. This is where I live. I don't want to live in a trash can, okay? And every day or sometimes twice a day. So when you have this kind of attitude, positive attitude about life around you, even there is a hater who comes to your page and leaves hateful messages, you're stupid, you're an idiot, go away, I will block you, I hate you, blah, blah, blah. You have to understand, this person is suffering. This person is in pain. These girls who wrote those the, the derogatory, you know, put-down statements in my guest book, they didn't have it well in their heads, okay? They didn't have any positive message to share with the world in general. And I'm sure I'm not the first and not the last victim of their violent and negative intrusion of their violent thoughts. So it's this, you know, very very negative, very swampy, negative influence people might bring to your life. But you have to look at these people. They are victims of their environment. This is not their fault. When you start analyzing somebody's life, you actually will understand this girl or this guy, they come from a very, very unpleasant background. You don't want their life. Okay, so the person who leaves you a comment, you're a wacko, you're a cuckoo, you're crazy. You don't want their life. You want your own life back. Do not be envious of anybody's life to begin with. Try to overcome this envy problem if you have one. I know a few people right now who have envy problem and I can't help them. I'm not a psychiatrist. I just have this general ideas about life and I'm sharing them with you. So during high school, every summer, and sometimes in a, in a spring break we had in February or March, like 10 days at school. So the, the, the studio, the government studio would organize a trip to, to south of Poland, to Krakow, the mountains for five days paid by the government. And they give you paints and canvas and you paint. And besides actual action, action painting, but you meet, uh, uh, older artists. I was, you know, 16, 17 year old kid meeting those older guys who have been painting for 20, 30 years. And we talk and I pick up ideas and they give me tips. Of course, I am asking to give me tips. I am asking for those people to be severely critical, realistically constructive criticism in art world is called corrections. You as a young artist, you need to ask an older artist to give you corrections. And this is what I did throughout my high school. I willingly went to see the student I had who had his school. He had about 10 students, <coughs> all young people. And I willingly listened his directions, his corrections. You understand? I didn't pay him anything. I didn't pay for those corrections. I was just his friend. And he benefited a little bit of my success in the United States. I helped him out while I was here in the United States. I... Uh, he gave some 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 help to organize his shows in in Poland, and I gave him some money. So what I'm trying to say is, in your high school, in my high school, I I persevered every day. There was a schedule. I I I went to sports. I had sports training three times a week. I was doing karate three times a week. You understand, Kyokushin Kai. So I was always busy coming back to my dorm at 9 p.m. every day. The school is over at 2 or 3. I actually skipped last classes usually and went to paint for a few hours, then went to have dinner at my dorm and 
then I went for a sport training and do, do the homework. And at 11 o'clock, you, you fall asleep. Then you wake up at 6 again, have breakfast, go to school. So this was my life. And Saturday and Sunday, my mother insisted that I come home. So I did come home. And Saturday and Sunday, I spent a lot of time with my sister. She was born when I was 14 or 13. So my sister is 14, half-sister, uh, 14 years younger. And... Uh, but I also spent Saturdays and Sundays in a community center in small town in art studio painting also. They let me paint there in Saturdays and Sundays. So I spent a lot of time painting. In the building where my mother lives, I had a huge basement with no natural light, but it's okay. And I was painting there also with artificial light, which I was not very keen to do. It was not recommended at the beginning of my education because I come from a background. Everybody was analyzing nature, looking at nature, looking at multiplicity of colors. Those flowers are not just red. There is one million colors in these red tulips. Open your eyes. It's not a matter of eyes. It's not a matter of opening eyes. It's a matter of faith, actually. It's a matter of belief. Do you believe what you're looking at is infinite because this is how the universe is? Because the space is infinite. Because light waves are actually infinite. Our eyes are limited and ears limited to the waves we can hear. But nevertheless, you have to know the science and understand what you're looking at. I'm looking at a piece of clay, <laughs> clay right now. I'm going to do ancient sculpture. 35,000-year-old sculpture and make a video about it and post it on TikTok, how people, archaeologists dug it out from the sand of Arabia. It's a fun, you know, I'm, I'm a performer. I'm, I'm, I love to make fool out of people when I can. <laughs> well, I want people to learn what is fake and what is real because there's so many news that pretend to be real and they're made very professionally. Millions and billions of people actually live in the world of illusion and they even don't care to know the truth. I don't care if those people don't care. I have my own life. I really enjoy it. I share my wisdom here on, on, on podcast and I'm very, very blessed if anybody hears my voice. And uh, going back to high school, so so it was very busy. And then my Russian language was obligatory during the high school in Poland. So my Russian teacher, she was Belarusian. Uh, she insisted that I participate in Olympics of Russian language throughout my high school, but also I participate in the competitions of recitation, be on stage in front of hundreds of kids and adults and recite poetry and prose in Russian language or some Polish people who didn't speak well Russian in, in Polish language but Russian poetry and Russian prose from Tolstoy, from Dostoevsky. So, but I performed in Russian language. So I acquired, I went to a theater. There was a small theater and I learned from, uh, from actors and they were very traditional actors by Stanislavski. Stanislavski is a theoretical um, 
man who, who was an agent, who was an art agent in 1920s and 30s, but he wrote a lot about the essence of actors' life and performance and spirituality. And to tell you the truth, all the famous actors you know in Hollywood, people who are actually acting in front of the camera and not making faces, they all learn from Stanislavski. If you know anybody in Hollywood, you can call them right now and say, this crazy guy, Russian Andrei Bogoslavsky, said Stanislavski is at the bottom, bottom, bottom theoretical teacher of all everybody in Hollywood. And every serious producer will tell you, yes, this is true. If you want to be a serious producer like Scorsese, like Kubrick, like Polanski, serious, I'm talking serious, not blockbusters, but serious producer whose movies will last for generations, you need to know what Van Gogh letters to Brother Theo are about, because they're about art, self-expression, finding yourself and expressing yourself, in Van Gogh's case, on a painting, on a canvas, in Stanislavski's case, with ballet, with music, one of the, all of the great composers of the beginning of 20th century knew Stanislavski personally, ballet russe, all the ballerinas, all the whole ballet in the United States derives from Stanislavski from ballet russe. You understand? Russian ballerinas, Russian immigrants in 1920s and 30s formed the school of ballet in Paris. And it was called ballet russe. And then they came to the United States in 1940s and 50s and they inspired creation of American ballet school. And I personally 20 years ago knew teachers from American ballet uh, school in New York City. You understand? I still have business cards somewhere lying around. And she bought one of my paintings, actually. So what I'm trying to tell you, knowledge is power. If you don't know things, you will be in the dark, in the clouds, in the Zoom. People will rip you off. People will tell you lies. People will uh, trick you. People are sometimes unintentionally, people are delusional. They're talking nonsense. I often look at the guy, I listen to what he says, he's being delusional. He thinks he knows, but he really knows shit. He never read that book. He never examined it. He never saw it. He never learned, but he has his opinion. But his opinion, unfortunately, is called delusion. In psychiatry, it's called delusional thinking, delusions. It's very close to hallucinations. Hallucination, it's a brain damage. It's chemistry. But delusional thinking is very popular. 90% of people you know are delusional. They imagine all kinds of crazy stuff that doesn't exist. They share their opinions on the subjects they have no idea about. No idea about. It's like me talking about <coughs> being astronaut and navigating an airplane. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about it. I can talk about Buddhism, karate, philosophy, history, anthropology, science in, in the big picture, but not in detail. So, you, you understand? So, you, you, this is the end of my podcast. 22 minutes. Oh, my God. I'm sorry I went off. <laughs>